A man is stopped at a DUI checkpoint, and what they find in his car is terrifying. And then we take a look at a story that is often forgotten when we look at the life of Ed and Lorraine Warren. The Conjuring movies are based on them. They were at the forefront of major haunting stories. But did you know that they also once had an encounter with Bigfoot today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. It's funny, the story we're going to start off here wasn't the story I originally had planned for today. I just read about it in the news today. I'm doing it for one of two reasons. One, because I think it's a good follow-up to our Ouija board episode, especially the ending. Now yesterday I did, you don't have to listen to yesterday's episode to follow this one, but yesterday I ended that episode with saying, I don't know what's scarier. The idea that a demon can possess someone via a Ouija board or simply that people can simply snap under the smallest provocation. Is that a word? Uh, Underneath the smallest of circumstances, someone could just snap and start murdering people. And this story actually really gets me worked up. Now, I have an unofficial rule that I try not to cuss on this show. They do slip out from time to time. I'm going to do my best because this, this story actually really gets me worked up. It's kind of depressing, too. And that's another reason why I want to cover it, because I almost need to just tell it and get it off my plate. I can't let it be sitting in my notes. And you're like, Jason, why are you telling us this story? It's so depressing. Because again, I just think it's an interesting story, and it's an ongoing trial. Something you guys can follow as well. It's September 2014. There's a little DUI checkpoint in the state of Mississippi. Bored police officers sitting there. Cars are coming. Stopping the car. Have you had anything to drink tonight? No, yes, how many drinks, just this routine, this DUI checkpoint. And this van pulls up, there's a man in it, 37-year-old man, the cop's like, oh, you know, he's either drunk or he's not, you know. Maybe he'll be smuggling some coke and it'll be a cool Miami Vice moment, but the cop knows, listen, the guy's either drunk or he's not, the guy either keeps driving or he gets out of his car, breathalyzer, all this stuff, just a routine stop. But as the car pulls up and the man rolls down his window, The police officer recognizes a smell. It's a smell that only people in certain professions know. Morticians, military, doctors, cops. It's the smell of death. That was the officer's exact words when he was filing the report. I smelled the smell of death. Now, the guy in the car, his name is Timothy Jones Jr. He's a 37-year-old dude. And he's just kind of chatting, but the cop just smells the fact that there have been bodies in here. Animal, maybe? Human, maybe? He doesn't know. But he begins kind of looking around the car with his flashlight, checking it out. And that's when he notices three things you never want to see in combination. Maggots, blood, and children's clothing. Timothy Jones Jr. and his wife were married. They had five kids. Uh, So this is going to get grim, guys. So again, you can just jump ahead 10 minutes and get to the funny story. Or just hit keep hitting that skip button if this isn't the way you want to start your day. 8, 7, 6, 2, and 1 were the ages of his children. They had a divorce. He got sole custody of the kids. Or at least most custody of the kids. I don't know if it was sole, but they spent most of the time with him. And he had a really hard time dealing with it. Had a really hard time dealing with it. Now... 
we've talked about this before on the show. There's good ways to deal with stuff and there's bad ways to deal with stuff. The way that he dealt with stuff is that when his kids misbehaved, he made them do push-ups and sit-ups and do physical training. There was this way of kind of like breaking them down. Very bullyish type behavior. Very bullyish type behavior. But anyways, he said Child Protective Services had come out to his house because they noticed the mark on his kids. They they actually visited his house two weeks before this incident. And they're like, yeah, he does make them like run laps and stuff like that. But the kids actually seem to be well fed. They're clean. They're well groomed. There's The house is clean. It's nice. But what people didn't really know was that he was hearing voice. At least he says he was hearing voices. Now, his mother had done 20 years in a mental institution for schizophrenia. He says that he was uh, self-medicating himself, that he was hearing voices. And at one point, the voices told him to kill his kids. And he's like, what? Nah, I'm not going to do that. But one day he comes home. It was August 28th, 2014. He comes home, and the electrical outlet is blowing out. And he accuses his six-year-old son of blowing out the electrical outlet. And the kid's like, I didn't do it. And the dad's like, yeah, you did. And they started having this like back-and-forth argument. So he started making his son do push-ups and sit-ups until he admitted that he blew out the outlet. And the boy was adamant that he didn't. So then uh, Timothy, like a real man does, starts smacking his six-year-old son around. This this story's really pissing me off. He starts smacking his son around. And then he sends the son to bed. And then later on, he checks on his son, and his son is dead. So we, this is all his version of the stories. We don't know exactly what he did to the boy, but the boy ended up being beaten to death. He says he just smacked him around a bit, the kid goes to bed, but the boy, he, when he checks on the kid later, the six-year-old kid is dead. At that point, he said the voices came... A little spoiler alert here, he's trying to get insanity. That's why I think all this voices nonsense is in this story. Maybe he was hearing voices, maybe not. I don't know. I really don't care. But anyway, so he's sitting there and he's looking at his dead six-year-old son in bed. And he says the voices came to him. And that the other kids were conspiring against him. So now was the time to take them all out. He goes into the eight-year-old's bedroom. uh, Strangles. She strangles. I think the eight-year-old was a girl. They were mixed. So some were girls and some were boys. I didn't want to really picture the, the genders of the kids. But... He strangles the 8-year-old. He strangles the 7-year-old. He then goes into the room with the where the 2-year-old and the 1-year-old are sleeping. And in a particularly brutal detail, he said their necks were too small for his hands, so he used the belt to strangle them. He throws all of them into the car. You know what's funny? The, 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 the element that I think really kind of got... That is, when you deal with true crime and stuff like that, you read stuff like that. That bugged me. But the, the detail that I think really bugs me the most about this story, honestly, because you get immune to the death type of stuff. He throws the kids' bodies in the back of his van. He drives around for nine days. He doesn't really know what he's going to do. He He's thinking about, well, maybe I should melt them. Maybe I should cut them up. And maybe I should ground the bones to dust and just scatter them somewhere so no one will ever know what happened to the kids. Now, obviously, the cops will figure out that his kids are missing, but... As he's on this journey to dump these children, his children, wherever he's going to put them, they're, they have video surveillance footage. I don't know why this pisses me off so much, but they have video surveillance footage of at one point him going into a convenience store and buying cheese sticks and curly fries. I don't know why that bugs me so much. I think it's because the it's 
This is going to sound so weird, but you don't deserve a treat, dude. You don't deserve your favorite food. Okay? You don't get to take a, 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 a break. You don't get to go to your, 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 the place where you want and, and get some food you want when you got uh, murdered kids in your back seat. You don't get to do that. You don't get to have a fun summer day. At one point, he goes to the store. He buys a saw, acid, goggles, candy, and Gatorade. And I can just imagine this asshole sitting in his car in some uh, parking lot, eating a Snickers bar, drinking a Gatorade, and just having a good time as his kids are rotting in his backseat. You know, it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre because, again... When you read a lot of this stuff, when you research a lot of this stuff, you do become immune to a lot of the super grisly details. But when you read the mundane stuff, it gets to you. It gets to you. I've lost track of the amount of people that I've seen. I've probably seen about seven or eight people die in real life. And I've lost track of the amount of people I've seen die in video. Like, absolutely, just couldn't even give you a rough estimate of how many people I've seen blowing up or accidentally electrocuted or get their brains blown out in some sort of uh, Syrian war video. I've completely lost track of that stuff. But this uh, this detail, it's just so... The, when when you look at the, the horribleness of these crimes, the mundane details are what tend to haunt me. I remember, I think it was the Zodiac Killer. I remember reading a long time ago there, I think it was the Zodiac Killer. There was a guy, he was like 50 years old, he was one of the victims of the serial killer, and I can't swear that it's a Zodiac Killer, but it was in San Francisco. There was a guy who was like in his 50s, he worked at the Coke bottling plant, and every day he got a free bottle of Coke, and that was his favorite drink, and he would walk home with his bottle of Coke, and he would sit at home and watch television and drink his Coke. And when he was walking home that night, he was shot by the serial killer, and they found his body and the coke was spilled next to his body. That detail really stuck with me for a long time. Because that's me. I'm the guy who enjoys the little things in life. I'm the guy who enjoys walking to the store, grabbing my three favorite items. My, my, I got my drink, I got my favorite snack, and then I walk home and I enjoy them. That was me getting gunned down. The, those mundane things are the things that always stick with me. It's not necessarily the, the grisliness of the murders, but it's the mundane stuff. That really gets to me. So he's on trial right now. And he's he's confessed to it. He's totally confessed to it. The question is whether or not he's insane. Legally insane. Or if he just snapped. He said too in his police interview. If Nathan. That was the name of his six year old son. If Nathan had admitted that he'd blown out the outlets. All the other kids would be alive. He's the one who caused me to do this. You've. On the Ouija board episode, I, I, I said, I don't know what's scarier, the demon creeping through the darkness or people just snapping. I have my answer. It's people just snapping. Because you really can't predict it. This guy didn't have a Ouija board. By all accounts, he seemed to be fairly normal. Child Protective Services came out two weeks before this happened and talked to him. They felt he was normal. The wife never thought he was a dangerous person. She felt comfortable with him watching the kids. And he just murders five of them in one night because one kid doesn't admit to blowing out an outlet. It's far, far... Insanity, people snapping, is far creepier than a demon. 
Because demons may or may not be real, but insanity, and, and I'm not using the legal definition. This guy's guilty. This guy needs to go to prison, not some hospital. But yeah, far creepier. Far, far creepier. Okay, but enough of the that story. I actually went to, I was like, oh, I'm going to get some and eat. It just kind of left a sour taste in my mouth. But again, it could be because I just read it right before I was recording it. Didn't really have time to digest it. I haven't listened back to that segment yet. But you might be able to tell that my voice is a bit different just because it's like two hours later I'm recording the rest of this. Let's go ahead and change gears here. And right now we are going out to Tennessee. Now, Ed and Lorraine Warren were the people the Conjuring movies are based on them. I believe they were part of Amityville, I'm pretty sure. And they might have been part of the infield haunting. But really the Conjuring universe is all built around the life and times of these two investigators. Ed passed away a couple years ago, and Lorraine Warren just passed away this year. And we always hear about them being connected with these hauntings, but not a lot of people know that they also had a run-in with everyone's seven-foot friend who's covered in hair, Bigfoot. Now, apparently, so I found out about this because I was reading this article. So there was a book that they wrote back in the, like, 80s called Ghost Hunters, back when they were still kind of just starting to become super popular. And I'm reading an article about the book and about their Bigfoot adventures, and I came across this passage. It said, regarding the book, this is what it says. Ed and Lorraine Warren lay out some of their most terrifying cases. Investigations which include elements like disappearing Nigerian priests, judo chop martial arts murders, porno theater demons, and possessed biker gangs, just to name a few. So yes, I did buy the book. I went and I bought that book. I was like, ah, I gotta read this thing. And the author of this article says it's actually probably one of the craziest ghost books story collections out there. He goes, it's just kind of all over the place. But in the middle of the book, written by Ed and Lorraine Warren, there is an eight-page chapter simply titled Bigfoot. So Lorraine and Ed were on a lecture tour in Tennessee. Reporter comes up to him and goes, hey, listen... I need your help. Well, I don't need your help, but I know a bunch of hillbillies who need your help. I'm a little... I question this report. Was his beat the hillbilly beat, or did he have family members who were hillbillies? Like, how were they so easily able to get a hold of this reporter and being like, hey, we got a scoop for you. Bigfoot's still in kids. Actually, that is something a reporter would want to hear. But anyways, the reporter goes to Ed and Lorraine Warren and says, there's a bunch of hillbillies. They're being harassed by a Bigfoot. And Lorraine says, I never believed in Bigfoot. It was something that I never really paid attention to. It was just kind of whatever, you know, and th- that tends to be the case. A lot of criticism. I get two big criticisms about this show. One, my voice is too sexy. And two, they go, Jason, the only thing you believe in is ghosts. You're always like poo poo and everything else. You know? And both of those criticisms are quite valid. But I, I so I get where she's coming from. Like you do tend to just kind of focus on one particular form of freakish beliefs and then you kind of poo-poo the rest so that's how she was with Bigfoot but for whatever reason they do decide to go I think it was just kind of like maybe they just want to see hillbilly people in their natural environment the sons of the soil they just wanted to really see what they were like and maybe catch a sighting of a Bigfoot a creature that they don't really believe in also it probably helped the reporter ask them to because they seem to be a bit on the publicity hound kind of side they seem to really like publicity they go up the, so they go to the hillbilly village and everyone's just kind of like playing on their banjos and stuff like that. Lorraine and Ed are, I imagine, like dancing around doing a traditional dance, a traditional hillbilly dance, which is just a drunken stupor. 
But the the people in the hillbilly village were like, this is like, I should say, this is like in the mid-70s, early 80s. This isn't like, when I keep saying hillbilly village, this isn't like the 1880s. Anyway, so they're in the hillbilly village, and the grand chieftain of the hillbillies comes out in his headdress made of uh, Pap's Blue Ribbon cans, and he's like, I am the leader of the hillbilly clan. This is what happened many moons ago. No, he's like, so this is what happened. Um, one day we were sitting here, minding our own business, not making meth, not making any meth whatsoever. But there's a little two-year-old boy kind of hanging out on the outskirts of town. Town being where the caravan stops, where the mobile homes only reach out to. And we saw a giant monster come out of the woods, a giant Bigfoot, try to take the boy. And the boy started crying. The monster ran away. So we want your help finding this thing. Now, again, according to the book, Lorraine and Ed were like, uh, like, because they didn't believe in Bigfoot. But again, she's like, fine, let's do it. Now, after a certain point, after a couple hours, she's thinking this is a waste of time. As far as she's concerned, they're not looking for what they're looking for doesn't exist. So it would be like if you were hiking for four hours and you knew nothing was going to be found. Let's imagine you were looking for Forrest Finn's treasure. That's what she was going through. They were looking for something that just flat out didn't exist. So she's in the woods. They're walking around. And then all of a sudden she gets a psychic blast. Oh, oh, my head. And she sees Bigfoot. I guess I should say, in case you didn't know, Lorraine Warren is a psychic. She she was reportedly a psychic. Allegedly had these psychic powers. She just wasn't walking through the woods and she's like, oh, these newfound abilities. She This was her gift. Anyway, so she's like, oh, my head. Charles, go save Logan. Cyclops is in need of help. But actually, no, she doesn't do that. That would have been cool. But no, Bigfoot's there instead of Charles Xavier. And he goes, oh. Why humans follow me? And she's like, she starts talking with it. And she goes, well, you scared. What's so bizarre is that, again, I haven't read the exact chapter itself because I'm getting the book. But I'm basing this off what the article said about the chapter. And she just kind of like goes into a conversation with this thing that she didn't really believe existed. She said it was about 40 yards away from where they were at. She knew it was very, very close to where this hunting party was. And she's psychically connected. She tells everyone in the party, shh, shh, shh. I'm talking to Bigfoot with, with my magic brain. You gotta be quiet so I can concentrate with my magic brain. So the hunting party falls quiet. And she's talking to Bigfoot. And he goes, me hurt, me foot get scratched on ground point thing. She's like a rock, and he's like, whatever. It's My foot's all cut up because you chase me. And she's like, well, we're chasing you because you were trying to kidnap a little boy. And he's like, no, kidnap, no. Me understand crossing state lines with individual is federal law. Me no do that. Me want to play with baby. And she's like, well, okay, that's all well and good, and you have a odd understanding of federal law regarding kidnapping but he's like yes bad experience back in 60s no talk about it and she's like okay we'll table that for later but the kid was scared you're a giant giant hairy monster you're coming out of the woods he's like yes yes i am pituitary glands problem and they're having this conversation and 
She's like, she's mentally, she said at this point, she's mentally bandaging his foot. Like she's giving him visions of her like physically helping them. And then in true hillbilly fashion, let's say, I'm assuming that, oddly enough, I'm assuming this story is true in the sense that I'm assuming that a bunch of people walked down to the woods and she might have imagined a conversation. I don't think she made the whole thing up. I don't think she made up the hillbilly party or anything like that because it's such a brief section of this book. And if you took it out, it wouldn't matter. So I'll say that she probably did go in the woods with a bunch of hillbillies, a bunch of rednecks, and and imagine that she was talking to Bigfoot. Maybe she was really talking to Bigfoot. I don't know. But whatever the case, in true hillbilly fashion, if she made this up, she definitely knows her hillbillies. In true hillbilly fashion, while she is talking to Bigfoot psychically, after telling everyone, she's, hey guys, be quiet, I'm talking to Bigfoot psychically, they invited her out here to talk to Bigfoot psychically. A guy, a hillbilly, starts honking his horn. He's honking the horn, and it's quoted in the article as a joke. So imagine you're in the middle of making first contact with a Sasquatch, a creature that is a legend all over the world, and some hillbillies all, yuck, yuck, you know, this will be funny. You know, like, honking is just blaying on his horn. And of course, the psychic connection was not only broken, But then Bigfoot took off through the woods, so they heard this, like this huge noise running through the woods, and Lorraine says she took off after it. This part of the story is probably probably 100% made up, this ending, but anyways, Lorraine says she took off after it, and she sees blood that is described as more viscous, is that how you pronounce that? Viscous and more redder. Is that a word, redder? This was the quote. Both the blood trail was both redder and more viscous than a human than a human blood. So, anyways, that might have been that actually I might have missed I might have added in the A. So I'm not gonna put that on the article writer or Lorraine. Anyways, she's following this trail that has a human blood on it. And the other, the hillbillies are following behind. And then Ed is like barely like walking after. He's like, ah, it's all made up. I don't believe, I don't even believe my wife has these psychic powers. She's just really hot and good in bed. So I just, I just, I just play along. I don't care. I think, I know it's all fake. I've been faking hauntings for the past 20 years just to keep my hot wife interested in going to spooky hotels with me. That's not true. That is 100% an allegation. It's a joke. Don't sue me, estate of the Warrens. Anyways, they follow this viscous trail of a human blood to a cliff, and then nothing. So the idea is is that Bigfoot either killed himself, jumped off the cliff, or was running so hard and his foot hurt so bad that he just really wasn't paying attention to where he's running and accidentally ran off the cliff, like Wile E. Coyote. And I guess the uh, story has an afterword as well. Where Ed Warren says, I think Bigfoot's not real. I think it's a tulpa. I think it's a thought form. I think it's something that so many people have believed in. It has become something that's real. And that's Bigfoot. I think that it probably just ran to the cliff and then just magically disappeared. Which raises a couple interesting questions. One, we've talked about tulpas before. And I've I've talked about Bigfoot's being tulpas as well. So me and Ed, we're in the same vein. But you know, you know, I think that's kind of a common... Sub belief among Bigfoot followers, not Bigfoot followers, because that's like they're super into Bigfoot being real. But 
people who kind of just look at it every once in a while go, it could just be people's imagination have made it real. But here's the interesting question about that. If that's true, can you have a psychic link to a tulpa you didn't create? Because you can have psychic links to tulpas you did create if you listen to my episode about the guy creating the cartoon character and having sex with it, and it's screaming in his brain for the rest of his life. We don't know if he killed himself or not. But can you have a psychic link with the tulpa that you didn't create? If you can have a psychic link with the tulpa that you didn't create, then a tulpa really is technically life at that point. If there is a tulpa that can be released into the world and it's indistinguishable from any other life form and it has its own inner thoughts, it has basically its own soul, then it's its own life form. And then in that case, do tulpas, where do tulpas go when they die? Does their soul go somewhere? Do they deserve rights? Do these imaginary creatures that become real deserve rights? Those are all huge rabbit holes that I don't want to jump into. At the end of an episode like this, maybe we'll do it on a future episode. But I think it's interesting. The reason why I wanted to look at this was you have someone who's made all of their money telling people that, that ghosts are real and houses can be haunted and Annabelle, there's dolls running around and Annabelle too, that's all running around in the olden times and the nun. And all this stuff is based off these Stories and legends from the Warrens. The Conjuring universe's big... Really, the only other big cinematic universe is the Conjuring universe. You have Marvel Universe and Conjuring Universe, and that's about it. Other ones, like Fast and Furious is just kind of a franchise, but Conjuring Universe has all these interconnected movies. And it's funny because even they're like, I don't believe in Bigfoot. Like, until they had that encounter, they can see dolls running around and all sorts of crazy stuff but when someone brought a bigfoot to him they're like yeah i don't believe in it i think that's a pretty normal thing plus james wan i know you listen to this show you got to do this bigfoot movie you have to include a bigfoot reference in at least one of the next conjuring universe movies got to put a bigfoot in there it would be a deep cut for the true warren worshipers out there so that is the story of Lorraine and Ed Warren meeting Bigfoot, which is similar like stating something like the mummy meets Frankenstein. You have these huge paranormal investigators, these heavyweights in one world, and then you have this heavyweight in the world of cryptids actually meeting. I'm surprised the story isn't more popular, but it's not. I would assume it's not more popular because it's fake and... They knew it wouldn't stand up to scrutiny if they were constantly questioned about Bigfoot, so they just kind of wrote it in a book, kind of tossed it away. I could be wrong on that, though. I'm kind of harsh on the Warrens just because of their some of their cases turned out to be fraudulent. Not them, but the people behind the cases, it turned out not to be true. So, you know, I'm a little more harsh on them, but they did good paranormal work. They kind of brought that more into the whole, like, haunting stuff. They're part of the big boom with that, but Amityville was a hoax, Enfield Haunting was a hoax, and they were kind of involved in these things, I think, I think. I don't know what their level of involvement was, but yeah, you know, that's the problem. You get caught up in a couple different hoaxes, you could really run into Bigfoot and have a psychic conversation with him in the woods, and then eventually Hillbilly honks the horn and Bigfoot kills himself. That could be the one true story you tell, but... You know, how many times do I have to believe that Annabelle the doll got raised by the nun and then the Amityville house and then they moved to Enfield? Like, at what point 
do I have to say, I don't think that's true. And they're like, no, 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 we really saw Bigfoot. Here's some of his blood. It's so viscous. And I'm like, you know, what can I say? Could be the one true story out of all the nonsense. Could be more nonsense and a story of nonsense. Or they could, all could be true. But one thing's for sure. I'm going to read this book because I want to find out about porno theater demons. And once I do, we'll have to talk about it on Dead Rabbit Radio. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Bye.